Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about Peanuts, Charles Schultz, and all things Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy too. So sit back and enjoy. Folks, welcome to Blockhead. Today we continue our celebration of Dennis the Menace with Ron Ferdinand. Ron Ferdinand, the cartoonist who does the Sunday Dennis. Last time, if you recall, we spoke with Marcus Hamilton, the daily cartoonist working on Dennis the Menace since 1995. And this week we've got Ron Ferdinand, who's been working on Dennis since 1981. So this is a wonderful interview. Ron is a, both Ron and Marcus were just terrific guests and really so generous with their time. And this one's going to be split up into two parts this week and next week, just because it's so it's a little bit longer than the interview with Marcus, and it's also just so chock a block full of great stuff that I don't think your your minds can expand enough to absorb it all in one sitting. I, I, it's just it's too much. Your mind will just explode with cartooning lore, and I I just don't want to see that. I I don't want to hear that. So. Uh, I think we will split it into two parts so you can absorb properly and and gestate and and let it marinate. Let all the wonderful stories (laughs) sink in and enjoy them, you know, savor them. And then next time uh, we'll have the dessert. We'll have, uh, we will have, yes, the dessert. That's a good way to characterize it. And and it's very tasty. (laughs) Oh, God, it's terrible. Uh, Anyway, I think you're going to enjoy it. And so I'm splitting it up and I'm spreading out the joy. That's that's what it is. Okay, let's think of it that way. And I think you're going to you're going to like this because we talk a lot about comics history. and We talk a lot about the man, Hank Ketchum. And we talk a lot about the studio and and we talk about cartooning and we talk about all the stuff that goes into it. And Ron is just, you know, so full of information and really just such a humble man and and so uh, forthcoming and generous. And and it's just a joy. This is a a lot of fun. You know, I'm having so much fun doing this podcast. I have met so many wonderful people and every cartoonist I seem to talk to is just nicer than the last. And it's hard to hard to say that uh, that anybody could be nicer than Marcus it's hard to top that <laughs> but Ron is really he's right up there and so uh, I, I just had a great time and I think you will too and I'm a fan of you know comic strips and and cartooning lore and cartoonists and hearing the history and hearing about you know your idols and Hank Ketchum was up there with with Schultz and and with Johnny Hart for me as a kid growing up in the 60s uh, uh, you know my mom one of the f- the first set of of ink that I and and Bristol board I ever got, uh, I got a, a tablet of Bristol board, and I got um, some uh, Pelican inks, a set of Pelican inks that my mom and dad bought me, and and just goes to show, we, we went out and bought those at a paint store. There was no art store in those days, not not here where I live 
close to uh, Binghamton, New York. There was no art store. What there was was Collier's Paint Store. Uh, for those of you who live in Binghamton and in this area might remember that name. So we went there, and it was a special occasion. I don't know, maybe Mom and Dad were buying paint for something or wallpaper. I can't remember what they were doing. But I was about 10, and... Um, and I was with them, and my brothers and sisters weren't. So it was a big deal. Maybe it was my birthday. I don't know. I think it might have been. I'm guessing now, though. So anyway, we got a, a, I got this little tablet, a Bristol board, and I got some pencils, uh, regular number two pencils. I didn't know anything about HB or 2B or 4B pencils then, and they wouldn't have had them anyway. Um, but then there, was the, there were these inks and the, these pen nibs and pen points, and I didn't know the first thing about how to use them. Neither did my mom or dad, and there was no Google or YouTube to go check it out when I was, I was that age. And so uh, I took them home and started to play around with them, and I, it was just, oh, my God, I just remember spilling ink all over the place, you know, and, uh, you know, trying to handle the pen and pick up, dip the pen in the ink and then try to draw without glopping the ink all over when you're 10 years old. Forget it. <laughs> and it just wasn't going to happen. Well, anyway, I finally got it under control enough to do a drawing and to ink a drawing. And the drawing was a Dennis the Menace cartoon. I, I you know, did that and uh, it was my own cartoon. I, I had my own idea for the comic, but I copied, you know, the Dennis character and, uh, and inked it and inked it there was color there were color inks as well you know blue and red and yellow in there so i used those two to to color the comic and my mom took it framed it hung up hung it up on the wall so uh and at that time i was deeply into dennis particularly the comic books i loved those and uh, i remember being sick and uh, having the pocket full of fun books and just laughing my butt off while i was in bed sick with a cold or something and uh, it just took away all of the ills uh, that I felt I think you know humor does that right yeah. well you know it, it is uh, uh, you know a, a remedy for bad times hopefully it's a remedy for these times too right we're all dealing with this and uh, you know Schultz and Ketchum and Johnny Hart all these guys were, were I was just so immersed in that stuff and wanted to be one of them like many of our audience here on Blockhead and uh, it's interesting to think about the differences and the similarities in those strips I mean they're both set in suburban America in the 1950s in this ideal suburban America and particularly Ketchum's world is the most recognizable you know you have neighbors and adults and and cars and and uh, you know all of the stuff that we recognize from a suburban neighborhood and I think that's one of the keys to its success because America had this idea of itself and, and the idea of the suburbs and, and this idealized life that was supposed to happen there and at the same time Peanuts was in the suburbs but it was an alternate kind of universe you know the parents weren't visible and all of these strange things happen in that environment you've got you know this dog who's who's walking around and flying a sop with camel rather than sleeping in the doghouse I mean there are all kinds of weird things happening in Peanuts so there are two different distinct approaches to the, the suburban environment first off. And Peanuts, of course, the suburban environment and the idealized idea of the suburban environment is kind of undermined by the the thorniness of the characters and the personalities and the way they clash and intermingle and all of this anxiety that runs through this environment. 
as well as the kind of surreal qualities that run through it as well. And then in Dennis, you've got this this very clean world. And just imagine how Ketchum drew and drew these wonderful architectural environments and how they were adapted in the comic books by Al Wiseman and others. Uh, it's this kind of clean idealized version but then you've got this little hellion running through it who's like a tornado and throws everything upends everything upends you know all of these ideas of like maybe a nice afternoon tea party or something and dennis is throwing it into chaos and in some sense both of them then come out of this this view of the suburban world and this kind of clean image that we had of it and this kind of structured image of it and and I think they both kind of say that this is not possible you know that chaos will reign or 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 anxiety will reign one way or the other anyway it's it's interesting to think about them uh, both Dennis and Peanuts in terms of the suburban worldview of the 1950s of post-World War II America. And there's a lot more to say on that subject, and somebody somebody's probably writing a paper on it now. But anyway, it just got me thinking, and uh, I'm not going to take up any more of your time with those kinds of thoughts. But, you know, there, there's something to be said about the success of both of those strips at that particular time and what they reveal about the world and about America and its view of itself and these particular cartoonists' view of life in that world. But Dennis continues today, and it continues today and it is still very successful, one of the most successful comic strips in the world yet today. And day to day, six days a week, Marcus Hamilton is carrying Dennis forward along with uh, the assistance of Ron Ferdinand and Scott Ketchum sometimes. And, and uh, Ron, Ron Ferdinand has been working on Dennis and, and doing the Sundays pretty much regularly since 19, early 1980s. And so uh, he's got lots of, of stories to tell and he's doing a great job on the Sunday strips and, uh, and continues to. And his enthusiasm for the work is evident. Uh, on the page and the fact that his attention to the comic and the quality of the comic is not flagged at all over what now you know 40 years wow it's amazing he's been working on the strip almost as long as hank hank ketchum was okay i've taken up enough of your time uh with my musings <laughs> let's get right to it ron and i start this conversation it, it actually it starts by talking uh, about uh, my phone call with Marcus. And so we pick up right there and then get, get into it. So enjoy, okay? Uh, Ron Ferdinand and myself in conversation. <laughs> uh, you know that football soliloquy Andy Griffith did about foot? They call it football? Uh, yeah, he, you know, Andy Griffith, did, I guess he did stand up comedy for a, while, <clears throat> for a while. And he did this whole thing about they call it football, about mm-hmm. seeing football for the first time. And Marcus memorized this verbatim. <laughs> And, and if you close your eyes, you would think it was Andy Griffith talking. Oh man, I am gonna have to call him back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. it's... I, I gotta get that on tape. Or oh yeah, it was great. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, that's great. Yeah, he was great, and we had a wonderful time. And uh, and he is really laid back. And, yes. But he's also just a real gentleman. And oh, he is. He is. He's a great guy. A very talented guy too. He shared yeah. some of his artwork with me. And, oh uh, yeah. Really, so, pretty impressive. So he did it online. He shared it visually. Well, yeah, he he sent me some uh, files via email. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I got to see some of his stuff. Yeah, yeah. His freelance and, stuff. Maybe his, 
before he started with Hank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great stuff. Uh, yeah. Very diverse. Yep. Yeah, he was a very capable illustrator. Oh, I'm, I know. I know. So, you know, it's, it's what a story. Yeah, I know. It is. It's a great story because, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, when you're up against the wall uh, and literally at Walmart. Uh, yes, I know. And you're, and you're 50 years old. Man, you know, uh, second chances don't come often. Right. And, you know. Right. And, uh, especially was, at that age. Yep, absolutely. It was. Yep. Uh, he was on the seven. Did he told you he was on the seven hundred club too? And he. Oh really? He told I, the story, yeah, because that's where he found that. You know. Well, you know that. Yeah, that's where he oh, found that about. Yeah, that's where he saw Hank, right? Yeah, so they called him back and they did a follow up. You know, for. Oh really? Yeah, I, yeah, on the seven hundred club. I I think I had it somewhere on on tape or something. Oh yeah. But that's, yeah, he went back on the show and he told the story and they were like, "Wow, that's great, Mark." You know, we're so glad we were had had a part in the play in that. Yeah, it's so. I guess that's what that program's about, right? Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. You know, facilitating those kinds of things. Right. Uh, but it was great. But anyway, we could talk about Marcus all day because yeah. he's a great guy. <laughs> uh, but the the focus of the podcast today is you, Ron Ferdinand. So welcome to Blockhead. Well, thank and you. I'm I'm happy to have you here. This is great. This is like a Dennis the Menace celebration. Yeah. Yeah. In the next couple of weeks, and we are coming up on the 70th anniversary, aren't we? Yes. Six. Yeah. What is it? Six. Yeah. Um. 51, right? 51, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. just after Peanuts. And yes. Peanuts was 50, and Dennis the Menace was 51. And I was saying to Marcus, uh, Beetle Bailey came out in 52, so I guess that's the triumvirate, right? Of yes, right. Defining strips uh, in the yes. in second half of the 20th century. Amazing. Yeah. You know, you might want to talk to Scott, too, you know, down the road. Um, oh, I'd love to. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could put you into... Hopefully we'll have a bit of luck than I did with this, but yeah, you know, he, he's kind of, you know, he's kind of taken over now and, you know, great right. guy. He's, he's inheriting the, uh, the business. The, yes. Yes. And you know, he's, yeah, I, it's, it's amazing. When I moved out there in 81, he was like five. Oh my gosh. And I would, I would actually babysit for him. You know, my wife and I, him and his sister, you know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And he was a great so kid. So you've watched him grow up, and does he have his dad's talent? When oh, comes- yeah, yeah. He went to art college. He did the whole thing. He's a great painter. You oh. Know. Yeah, yeah. He did, like, serious painting and everything. Really? And, That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's very talented. And he's, you know, so he's come in, and he's, you know, he's adding his his touch to it, you know, and it's um, it's great. You know, he's got a great sense of humor, and um, he's just helped the product, you know. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah, Marcus said he was doing some, uh, intermittently he'd do some fill-in dailies. Yeah, again, yeah. As I guess you do, too. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, yeah, we're all kind of helping out everywhere, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, and Scott does, you know, so he's, he, you know, he loves the Sundays, and he, he's a good writer. So he's kind of taking me in other directions with it, too, you know. The, he's very visual, and and so, yeah, he'll, 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 he'll send me, like, title you know, the title panels and stuff that he really loves to do. And so, yeah, I'm learning a lot from him. And, you know, so it's it's been great. Wow. So, so Ron, I guess th- this is jumping ahead and deep into yeah. to Dennis right away. But uh, th- that does raise the question. Do you write the Sundays or are you working with writers like Marcus uh, is? Oh, yeah. Or do you write some of them? And it's just. Yeah, well, well, we have writers, you know, we have a few writers who submit stuff all the time, you know, mm-hmm. and it's freelance so that, you know, they get paid. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're submitting to other strips, too, you know. 
Mm-hmm. And they're also they're just constantly sending scripts in. And, you know, we pick and choose. And, you know, I'll they send them to Scott and I, and I'll pick my choices, and then I'll send Scott my choices with whatever I think. And he'll either agree or won't agree, and then he'll pick his. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, and then um, we'll um, edit them and rewrite them and, and uh, or whatever, you know. Sure. And if not, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we you use them verbatim, but yeah. So he'll 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 put his input in, and I'll put my input in, and then we'll. Yeah, but Mix we do it all we, up. Just, yeah, but, you know, Hank never had the Hank always, you know, because people say, oh, use writers. I mean, all that stuff was, you know. So Hank, um, he says, listen, Johnny Carson used writers, Bob Hope used writers. Yep. The best, the best of them used writers. So he never really hid the fact that he, that he. Right. Um, Use writers, you know. Right. And no, I mean, you know, different approaches. I mean, Mort Walker used writers, or oh, yeah. a, you know, a whole staff of people, and Johnny Hart used writers. Oh and, yeah, absolutely. Right. And Hank used to say that, you know, if you're doing it all yourself, you know, after a few years, I mean, you're going to be out of, you know, you're going to be kind of running dry. So it's good to have a fresh source of material, you know, coming in and material. Absolutely. And, one of the things I, th- I thought was, uh, you know, I think is different about doing a, a strip wherein, uh, you know, the char- the cast is is ageless more or less. Yes. And and they don't they don't change and the situations don't really change. Exactly. You know, eventually you are going to run dry if you're not moving forward in a kind of narrative way. And I think that's what enabled like Schultz to write his own stuff is in yes. a way that there was an na- underlying narrative, even though it. It didn't, you know, it wasn't like for better or for worse, but it had two weeks of a story here, or two weeks of a story there. And that allowed him to, I think, build one yes. joke upon another upon another. It opens up the, the door to writing for yourself and possibilities. Right. But right. if you're just doing like a one panel strip every day, I think it's it's a lot harder to yes. keep the imagination flowing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, and yep, and you know that it the, the, it's there. The grumpy neighbor, the oh the yeah, parents, the, the 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 girl the girl who's after you. You know, so it's it's the, the I, mean, I would say Sarah, but the, all the characters are there, and you know, it's just a matter of approaching them from a fresh perspective. And right, but yeah, I mean, Hank thought the neighborhood thing was he loved it. You know, he loved the whole Dennis's little world. You know? Yeah, he created. He just loved being there. Well, that's interesting to hear, uh, and, and it's interesting the way you phrase it, Dennis's little world, because I'll tell you, as a, as a kid growing up, I loved Dennis the Menace, and I loved, and I was uh, I was a kid in the 60s, and I loved, in particular, the, the Fawcett collections, you know, yes. the um, Pocket Full of Fun books. Right. And I lived in those books, and one of the things that I really loved about Dennis, those books was Dennis's world, not just, De- I love the fact that there was this beautiful world, particularly when it was like illustrated by Al Wiseman or somebody like that. Yeah. I just love yeah. that stuff. It was so clean and so immaculate and like the perfect suburban setting. And then you have Dennis running through it, <laughs> basically knocking it down to its, you know, to, yeah. to its knees in a way. I mean, he was a little yeah. hell on wheels, yeah. but I love that world. It, it's a, it's a very attractive place. And you know, Hank laid the whole thing out. I mean, he had sketches of blocks and the church, the church on the corner, everything. It was all. I mean, he created it. Like, and I mean, I, I saw him like just lay out a block with a pencil. You know, he he didn't use rulers. You know, he didn't need rulers. He just kind of just did it, and it was amazing to just watch him. You oh, know, man. do that. And, and you know, his early stuff. If you look at it, 
it's so beautifully drawn. Yeah. So, I mean, Weissman's was great, too. Oh, but very different, though. Yeah. Yeah, yes. My, Weissman's very disciplined. His lines were very straight, very... And, yeah, so Hank never used a ruler. That's you know? amazing. Yeah, yeah. He just had this amazing draftsmanship quality. Well, I think that's one of the things that stands out about those early dentists. Yes. You know, yes. Uh, is his draftsmanship and his the way he handled pen and ink was just... Oh, it's just amazing. Just and every amazing. decade was different. You know, like he started out... If you go by decade by decade, mm-hmm. it's always evolving, you know, and it's and not evolving in a, even a better way, just in a different way. Oh, so how would you characterize the way he evolved over those, you know, 40 years? I guess it must have been. Oh, right? yeah. more. Uh, yep. I, it's, it's interesting. He started out very graphically literal and then mm-hmm. he loosened up and then it would got they got looser and looser. And but still, you know, having everything there, but. He, um, if you look at his stuff from the 50s and his stuff from the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. the 90s is more, or it's more like um, impressionistic. You know, he started getting more, just looser with everything. You know, it's fun. To, it's fun to, but every decade had its own feel. Oh, that's really and interesting. Every, and everyone held up. Every decade had its own personality, but held up. Oh, you know, it's it, and it kind of makes me sad in a way that the uh, Fanographic series hasn't continued. Yes. Oh, I know. It was painful when they stopped him. Yeah, because I would love to see uh, what you're talking about oh, in the yeah. collection. Yeah. Because well, in the show's the collections, four, you can see it, you know? Yeah, the, the first 40 years, you know, that book he released, I guess, in the 90s. They, you know, he had the Merchant of Dennis autobiography, and then he created, released another book with it, the first 40 years. And he went through, and he personally picked every one of those. Oh, wow. For every decade, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And then, you know, there's a, there's a sampling of, of each decade. And it's interesting to see because uh, I, I was working there when he was actually picking those, you know, each decade. So um, so that kind of gave a, a good example of okay. what I'm talking about, you know, the evolution of it. Yeah, I've got to pick that up because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in the 50s and 60s because I have a bunch of these you know, pocket full of fun books. Yes. I have a couple of other collections of comic books, but I don't have any of the later stuff. I really got to pick that up. Oh, really? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because it, it, it's a whole. It's very, it's very interesting just just to see how he um how he evolved, and it's just as beautiful, but in a different way. You know, it's just more impressionistic is the only word I can think of. Because then, you know, when he started painting later on, he was you know dabbling in all all styles all different styles but he was kind of an impressionist you know if you if you if you look at his paintings he he was very watercolory you know very loose and and just it was it was interesting to see what you know what would happen if he would have kept at it longer you know it's it's interesting that you say that about his painting marcus was telling me he was like deeply influenced by matisse among other yeah. people which yeah. i you know when i think of ketchum and i think of his early stuff I don't necessarily think of somebody like Matisse, you know, uh-huh. um, yeah. but, and then the watercolor approach. Now that's interesting too, because I know that the way you, at least I'm guessing that you color the Sundays. Is that true? Well, I do color guides. Oh, you do color guides. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, you know, I'll do the finished art. Then I copy it and then I'll do like a color. I use these Prismacolor markers, which are like watercolor, right? except they're markers and I'll, I'll, I'll color them. And um, I'll indicate the number. Then they have a number that they, you know, a chart. Oh yeah, sure. But, but uh, that I work from. But um, so I'll, yeah. So then they'll just, I'll, they'll look at my color guide and then take the, the numbers. So yeah, I, I, I try to, even with Scott Moore, you know, we, we try to simplify it more. 
mm-hmm. because especially the reduction in size of, of the, the Sunday comics, it it could get muddy if you're using too if you're getting too creative with the shading and, and stuff. So actually, Scott did do a very smart thing. He said we have to simplify it. So uh, see now I just I'll, I won't I'll use a green, but I won't use like a darker green for the ar- underarm. I've okay. kind of I've just kind of simplified it. It actually looks a lot better. In, yeah, you just don't have that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, it's just, um, it's just tough, you know. And 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 they're still reproducing. If you still sometimes you get a newspaper and it's off center, the colors are kind of you know, not on the lines, you know that yeah. kind of whole thing. So you know, it's it could be frustrating to see it, you know. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, especially but, uh, you. But um, so it's it's interesting. So you're working still on Bristol board with pen yes, and and. I am. Yeah, so traditional, the, the traditional old school style. It and, is, it is, yes, I know. I'm, I'm trying to, uh, Scott keeps saying, you know, we have to kind of, you know, he wants to buy me a, 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 a pad, you know, an, an iPad, iPad. But I skits, whatever they are. So, yeah, you know, and, and he knows I'm kind of fighting it, you know. I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, Scott, <laughs> because, right. you know, I mean, at this point in my life, to start drawing a computer would be a real challenge for me, as you can see by me trying to get on Skype here. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> I, you know, if I have, if I, if I have to do it, I'll do it. But um, I, I, I just love you know, old school. Sure. I mean, and, well, you know, there's well, you no, know, to be like, honest, I haven't given it a chance. So who knows? Maybe it would be fun. I mean, I see some beautiful stuff being done on, you know, on. Oh, on it's pants. amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, but it's not, you know, it's, it, there is a distinction, you know, it's not material. It's, it's, you yes. know, screen and you're drawing on a screen. So the texture exactly. is different. The tactility is different. Uh, the, the impact. And when, you know, you see these beautiful illustrations, beautiful paintings, um, the, the original literally is a, a digital image. And so yes. you don't get the, the tactility you get with oil paintings and things of that nature. Right. But still, it's you know, a lot the funny of fun. thing I was watching is Disney, one of the Disney documentaries on the making of one of the current movies. Right. And the, and the, one of the guys, uh, I forget who it was, he said, when we want to get inspired at the Disney, we go back and look at Fantasia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they sit there and they go, oh, my God, this movie was made with a pencil. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and they just sit there scratching their heads and going, how did they do this without computers, you know? And you go, so I thought that was kind of funny. Well, when you're working on the iPad, you know, you can just, any th- time you don't like a line, you know, yes. or line quality, you just delete that that layer, you know, uh-huh. and start all over again. Right. And you couldn't do that with a pencil. And so with a pencil, you can erase. But then again, you get that lovely kind of intuitive spontaneity, kind, right. you know, that's going right. when you're doing a pencil drawing. And so the vibe is different, you know, the it whole is, feeling is different. Yeah. yeah. You know, watching Hank Inc., you know, I, mm-hmm. I would say. Look over his shoulder, and you know he used these Gelat uh, 170 nibs, you know, and dipping it in the thing, and and you know he we used um, plate finish illustration board, so it would just kind of glide over the, and then Hank used to call it ice skating, you know, it's a, just let your pen ice skate over the surface, you know, and he absolutely just nice beautiful strokes, you know, and it's it's it was just so much fun, and and to think, I guess you can do it, on, I guess you can duplicate it on the computer, but um, I don't know. It's not the same. It's yeah, not the same. I, I mean, I love what I get uh, working on my iPad. It's changed. It changed everything for me. Really? It did. It changed okay. everything. And I was an old school. I'm, you know, I'm not too much younger than you. Uh-huh. And so I'm about 10 years younger than you. You're okay. 1950. I'm 1960. Yeah. 
So, uh, but I changed because I wasn't happy with the scans I was getting when I was doing my comic strip on Go Comics, and I wasn't happy with it, and I wanted something new. And my scan? wife said, "I don't understand that." You mean um, when you scan your image and yeah. you know the res and you've got some detail in there and my lines were getting my scanner wasn't the best and so oh, i would get okay. these like you know clotted yeah. lines and i wanted clear lines and right so anyway uh i started working on the ipad and and oh, oh my gosh you know uh i had a i, I love it I, it's really? so yeah but here's the problem you i take it to bed with me i wake up with it it's everywhere with me and i never stop working because of it wow so you know like we'll go to watch a movie or something i've got the ipad next yeah. to me i work all the time that's and amazing my wife has to say you know will you put the thing down and stop working we're yeah. a movie yeah you know? interesting so i so, just started scanning my stuff too because of the virus thing yeah they close you know the, the offices where used to i used to mail my art mm-hmm and uh, mail the okay. color guide with it you know and i, I work big i work pretty large like 29 19 by 22. Oh, really? Yeah, I work pretty large my Sundays, you know. So, uh, and I like working that big because, you know, you, you're not like, it's not like you're diamond cutting these tiny little. Right. You could stretch, you know, you could swing your arm and you could do big. Yeah, your your style is very open, too. There's like a, a gestural quality in yeah, what that's, you do. Yeah, I wish I was as good as Hank, but, uh, you know, that. I, but anyway, so now I'm scanning it, you know, and, and it's funny because I, uh, uh, I didn't scan it. Now I, I have a little scanner, so now I have to divide it up into because, oh. um, to three three parts before yeah. to scan. I have to scan it individually in parts. Yeah. To the to get it all there, you know. Yep. It's, yep. So it's funny, but I think the scans are looking good. I mean, my scanner's not. It's kind of it's a small. I have a large bed one, but the I couldn't get I couldn't figure out how to get that one too. So I scanned it in, on a smaller scanner and 600 DPI, you know, and yep. it's um, yep. and yeah, so far so good with it. Well, that's good. Scanning, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, if it's been recently and they're showing up in the paper, I haven't noticed any difference. Yeah. So, uh, so they're looking good. That's that's great. I mean, ultimately, it's going to get scanned by somebody somewhere. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it makes a big difference if you have a good scanner and you're getting you know decent scans in the image. But yeah. uh, I was working relatively small, and so. Um, not relatively small, but it was still, it was smaller than you're working uh -huh. when I was doing originals. And they were, they just, you know, the, the line quality just wasn't, wasn't there. So, wow. and, and I was scanning them at 600 DPI too, but I just, I was losing stuff. So when I switched to the iPad, I was, I, it just changed everything because the, the quality is there. It's built in and yeah. there's no translation. So you don't lose that resolution. You don't you lose that quality. But anyway, this is kind well, of far. Know, old, the old faucet, the, the books, the paperbacks. Oh, yeah. From, you know, you look at those, but the line, you can't really appreciate Hank's line in those things. No, you can't. You know what I mean? Yeah. When the Fanographics book started, you could re they would the reproduce so beautifully. Mm -hmm. And you can, re and they, of course, each one is on a full page, you know, and you could, right. and they were a nice size. So I think that's really when people started seeing good reproductions of Hank's line work, you know. Yeah, I look back at the old paperbacks and I, I kind of flipped them. And the, I mean, you know, it's all there except, you know, it's that grainy paper, it's the paperback yeah. paper, and and you don't really get get the full, you know, hit of of Hank's line work. From them. No, you know, it strikes me what would be so cool would be a Hank Ketchum artist's edition. You know, those books that come yes. out that are yeah, yeah, 
uh, that would be fantastic. Oh yeah, definitely. You know. Well, hopefully, fan graphics. I mean, they stopped them. I don't know what what happened. I, they stopped like every most a lot of their books that were coming out at the time. Right. And who knows? Maybe they'll resume maybe, at this point. Or, yeah, that would that would be great. Or you know, maybe maybe you'll take them to IDW because they do a great yeah, job too. Yeah. They seem really committed to reprinting. I mean, not that Fantagraphics isn't, but uh-huh. you know, um, but who knows? Uh, yeah. They might be up for it. Who knows? Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh no, not at all. It's it's just like interesting. It's interesting how many topics we've touched on so quickly, and uh, and where we've gone in the conversation so far. But um, so I think one of the things, I, well, it's just natural. I I kind of want to know you know where you started where you came from and and you know how you you ended up working with hank ketchum and and dennis the menace and i know you went to sva but yes i mean what were you drawing cartoon comics as a kid was that one of your things or were you into yeah, other yeah. I, yeah i went to catholic grammar school and high school so i had no there was no art training there you know it was like they didn't so i had to do everything on my own and as, I mean, as a kid i loved disney i loved comic books and I would I was always sketching I was always drawing on a lot of times on magazine cover edges mm. of magazines because I it was funny you know I would just like all the edges of magazines all this clear space I'd, I'd start sketching on them it was weird I was and that when I think back about it why I didn't use composition and then I started using composition notebooks and, uh-huh. and everything but um yeah so I was always drawing I just always loved loved to draw it was a natural it wasn't it was anything forced, you know, it was, mm-hmm. um, it just came na- naturally, whatever. So mm-hmm. yeah, now we mad magazine, comic books. And, the, the, and then, so through, through Catholic, my whole Catholic education, I never really, I remember I was once I was in my chemistry class and we had the Christian brothers and I would sit on my desk and I drew this little sketch of Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Ah. It had just, you know, this is probably 67 when, whenever Sergeant Pepper came out. Uh-huh. So I was I was in high school then. So I I just drew this like woman floating on the on a lake and the diamonds in the sky and it was a very quick little sketch, and he was coming down the aisle. So I th- I I threw it on the floor. Uh-huh. I, was, I, I was afraid, you know. Sure. They were tough, those Christian brothers, boy. And anyway, so it was he he looked down, he picked it up, and he goes, hmm, who drew? And I wouldn't I wouldn't own up to it. So he's holding this thing there and he's looking. He goes, that's a very interesting drawing. Who drew this? And I never confessed to it out of fear oh my gosh so he just took it and i don't know what he did with it but it was just kind of funny i was so intimidated at that point yeah afraid to to yeah up, yeah you know to be, i don't know it was an it was all boys school it was almost like a reform school you know a catholic and a catholic all boys school it was like prison because you know there was nothing to to distract the guys like there was no girls there to, it was all so it was you know it was a tough it was a very tough environment. And the way boys can be, they find out somebody can draw or do anything like that, and they can be yeah, pretty yeah. rough about stuff That's like part that. Of it too. And, the, you know, the hair was just starting to come in, so they were really on top of that. And, like, I mean, yeah, and I started to let my hair grow a little bit, and then they'd send me out to get a haircut, you know. So I'd be, and I, we had it with the jackets and the ties and the white shirts. And so I'd be, they'd send me out, and I'd be walking down the street there by the, high, by the school looking for a barber to cut my, <laughs> cut my hair. It was so you had the jocks and the, versus like the up and coming hipsters, you know, hippies, yeah. you know. Yeah. And yeah. So it was like a it was a battle there, but I got out just in time. I, I graduated in '69, 
Yeah, and then I went to St. John's, which was a Catholic oh, university. Oh, St. John's. Yeah, yeah I know yeah. St. John's. Yep. I went there. It was just a natural uh, carry-on. You, you finish, you know, McClancy High School, you go to St. John's. You know. So I went for six. I went and took all general studies, and I, I was miserable. I just wouldn't, couldn't get into it. I just mm-hmm. could not get into it. I went for, for six months, and then I got to the point where I'd go to school, and if there was a test, all right, we'll have a quiz, I'd leave. You know, so I was just going in and out. I was just playing it loosey goosey. I wasn't showing up, and somehow or other, I made it through uh, half a, half a semester. But <clears throat> then I, I left. I, I, I went worked at Macy's uh-huh. and, and Drew. I worked in, in Herald Square, the, the big one. Yeah. And then I Her worked poster. there for, for a while. And then at the all this time, I was drawing at home. And then I um and then I heard about visual arts. Right. School of Visual Arts, which was in Manhattan. I lived in Jackson Heights, so um, Queens. And yeah, so I, uh, I applied, I was accepted, and that was it. I mean, that started the whole serious thing. And I took animation. My dream was to work at Disney. Oh, okay. That was my, growing up, that was that was it for me. Disney, mm-hmm. Pinocchio was like my, that, my dream come true. Still the dream for a lot of kids. Oh, yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that was it. I took all the animation classes they had to offer. I had some great teachers. And, but, so, I went for three years. It, when I was going there in 72, 73, so they still didn't have a bachelor's program. Okay. It was, it was a three-year school. You went for three years, and then you left and tried to get a job, you know. So, so the year a... I left, my I was finishing up my third year, and then they were going to start their bachelor's program. Mm, so if okay. I come back, if I come back for another year, I would have had to do all liberal arts classes to get all my credits and everything. Yeah. So you know, I, I talked to some of my professors, and I was saying, "What do you think?" And you know, I was young then, so I was thinking about, you know, should I come back and get my BA? But they were all telling me, nobody cares about your BA; they want to see your portfolio. So I I, I decided not to. So I, I left, and then right before I I left, it, it was in uh, my last. So a month in school, uh, Mill Call came from Disney. Oh, you know one of the old nine old. Yeah, men. yeah, one of the nine and, old yeah, men. Yeah. And he gave you know gave a talk, and he said, "So if anyone's interested, we want to see um, well, you want to see your model, your life drawings. That's all Disney. That's all he goes. That's all we care about. How you handle the human body. Okay. So here I had I'd, I'd been there for three years, and I'd taken life drawing, but my focus had been on animation on producing a film so it was i spent you know a little time drawing and I, I worked on cells i was inking the cells i was coloring painting the cells doing the backgrounds filming it literally on the on the oxberry those old monster oxberry mach- cameras oh wow so i had to do this all myself so i you know i was spending so much time on the technical stuff that i was losing focus of the drawing part of it right so anyway but i had a i had a so after um, I left SVI, I got up a package of my um, model, my life drawing, and mailed it to Disney. So then I, you know, a couple of weeks later, I get a, they said, you know, you're good, but we're looking for Michelangelo's. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they said, we want people who have a, com- a command of the, of the anatomy. So I thought, oh, great. You know, so here I am. So I, I went to the Art, uh, Art Students League uh-huh. in Manhattan. For a year, and I studied anatomy, strictly anatomy, with Gustav Rebberger. He was a European fine artist. He beautiful paintings, oil, massive oil paintings, and so I, I took, I took that, I took anatomy with him for a year, 
and my 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 goal was to kind of get another portfolio together of the human body and send it re resubmit. But then uh, things happened. I got uh, I got married. I um I had to earn a living, so I got a job at a printed circuit board, making at an electronics company making printed circuit boards. You know, on the on the machine like printing. Yeah. So kind of uh, printing, but it was printing you know electronics grids and all this stuff. So I did that for like five years. And before I knew it, you know, time was going, and I was going to hit my 30th birthday. So then I went back to I went back to SV8, and I took a, a layout and mechanicals class, the old school, you know, graph, you know, advertising, doing oh, rubber, yeah. rubber cement, the whole deal before computers came in. Yep. Yeah, that whole deal. So I took I did that for a, a semester at night, and I I would go out and um and then I actually asked my boss. I said, would it be right if I work four days a week? Because I'd like to prepare my portfolio and he was very nice and he said sure so i worked tuesday to thursdays <coughs> during tuesday to friday and then mondays i would spend preparing and so i sit home and i do then i was mailing out stuff here and there and um i wanted a couple of i got a couple of leads from different i actually went to archie comics oh okay and i talked to the guy he just passed away i saw that um this guy who i'd spoken to back in 1980 and, and um he was one of the, you know, the head. So I went there. I should, I did some Archie sketches, and you know, he he liked the sketch, so he gave me a script to rough out in pencil, and then which I did, and I brought it back, and that's as far as it went. So I was getting all these kind of false leads and stuff, and mailing stuff out, and and nothing. So then I, I subscribed to this magazine called um, Cartoonist Profiles, and I was yep. getting that for a couple of years, and it was. Are you familiar with the magazine? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. So I was getting so in 1980. Uh, an interview. Hank had just moved back to, to Monterey from Switzerland. He was in Geneva for 15 years, and he decided to go back to the States. And he was going to set up a training program. So he, he did an interview with Judd Hurd, and um, he just talked about his career and everything. And then at the end, he said, yeah, I'm thinking of bringing on a few assistants. He put his address in there, <laughs> which was weird, you know, because usually I don't do that. So yeah. and he said, <clears throat> he said, Judd, if you have your ear to the ground, if you could any possibilities, let me know. <clears throat> So I was sitting home in Queens, Jackson Heights, and I said, "What the heck? I got nothing to lose." So I went out and bought a few of the dentist books. I did a few quick, few quick sketches of the characters, and uh, mailed them to Hank. You know, never dreaming to hear anything. Right. So, a couple of weeks go by, and then I I totally forgot about it. Then one day I get this letter, and it has Dennis the Menace in the upper right hand corner, <laughs> and I opened it, and it's you know from Hank. And he's saying, dear Ron, I got your samples, and they look pretty good. I may be hiring, you know, he says, I've already hired two assistants, and I may be looking for a third. Send me a resume, which I didn't have, and a photograph. He wanted to see, he wanted to see a photograph. So, I mean, I had done a couple of little freelance things in the neighborhood and stuff. So I, I kind of padded that a little bit. <clears throat> Sent him a photograph. Never never expecting. And then, he, you know, a couple of weeks go by, and he, I get another letter. And he says, all right, here's a few, here's a few gag slips. Do a rough on him and and ever. He goes, take your time. You know, he goes, no, there's no rush on this. So, of course, I'd sit down. I'd get the whole thing done over. I'd stay up all night trying to get it out the next day. Yeah. You know, because I was so hyped for this. Sure. So we corresponded for um, about three months, I believe it was. And then finally he said, well, I live in Monterey. I'm going to fly out here for two weeks. And um, we're working on a comic book. This was back in 81 when they had Hank had signed a one-year deal with Marvel. Okay. 
for a dentist comic. So he had already hired two other people, and um, they were working out of a little studio in, in Carmel Valley that he was renting. <clears throat> so he said, you know, so I come out. So I went out by myself for two weeks. It was amazing. The first day I was there, well, his writer, Fred Sewell, picked me up at the airport on Saturday. It was Sunday night, him and his wife. So they drove me out to Hank's house in Pebble Beach. And I'm this green, I'm shaking like a leaf. And so he picked me up and Hank had this beautiful studio in the back. So I come up the stairs and there he is sitting behind his drawing board, you know, and it's just really, I mean, I, I thought I was like Oz, you know, like. The, yeah, right. Hey, listeners, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I hope you're enjoying today's interview. If you are and you want to show support, head on over to my Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan. At Patreon, you can contribute as little as a dollar on a regular basis to ensure the longevity of this podcast. Your support will help keep it not only commercial-free, but free to the listening public. And in exchange, you'll get some pretty neat stuff. There are at least three different tiers. Each level offers its own distinct rewards. So check it out today at patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan, G-E-O-F-F-G-R-O-G-A-N. Any amount is welcome, and your support is greatly appreciated. Thanks again, and that's patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan. So I'm, I sit there, and he, he's behind his drawing board. He goes, well, Ron, how was your flight? And I hope everything's okay. And he said, well, okay, I'm going to go back to your room. So my room, he had booked me a room, like, right across the street from where he was renting the studio space. So I could walk across the street. Oh, wow. So I went there Sunday night. And I, yeah, I was all trembling and stuff and called my wife and she's like, I said, I'm here. And so the next morning I, I, I went in and I'm, his two artists were working there, the people he hired. You know, I was talking to them, very nice people. And then Hank came in about lunchtime. He took us to lunch. <clears throat> so he takes us to the um, Carmel Valley uh, Tennis Club. Wow. For lunch. Yeah. So here I am, you know, green, this green kid. And uh, so I go there, and there's, there's Clint Eastwood, you know, sitting there. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So Hank goes, oh, Clint, this is Ron. You know, he's from New York. He's, you know, out here maybe. You know, Hi, Ron. You know, me, me, Alan, no, uh, Merv Griffin was there. Remember Merv Griffin? Oh, sure, of course. Yeah. So he's there in his, in his white shorts, and he's playing tennis. And, you know, so, yeah, so then I went to lunch, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. We go back, and he's, um, and he, these people have been working already for a few months, so I was looking at their work and it was really good. So, so he comes back and then it was, so what he would do is he'd come in a couple of times a week and go over their stuff. So he sits down and I'm watching and he's critiquing their work and I'm looking at their work going, it's beautiful. And he starts tearing it apart, you know, saying, this is wrong. That's wrong. You know, this is, I mean, he's very nice about it, you know, and there, and he's saying, yeah, so he's redrawing it. And it's, I'm thinking, so anyway, so he goes, all right. So I went back to my, um, room that night and he hadn't even seen what i could do yet and i'm thinking oh my gosh he was so tough on them so i was like i was really nervous oh my god yeah i can imagine and um so i went in the next morning and one of the people that was where he said he said he he gave me some good advice he said ron whatever you do he's gonna he's gonna rip it apart even how no matter how good you are so just do your best you know so i said okay so he came in he gave me a, a page to so i just sat down and bluffed my way through just started laying it out and everything <clears throat> and then just this just went on for the two weeks and then at the end of the two weeks he said ron do you like it out here and um i said are you kidding this is pebble beach monterey peninsula yeah uh, so then he just uh said well if, if you have a job if you want it whoa 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. He said, yep. Yeah. He goes, so go. So, and I, 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 I would say, that's awesome. <laughs> and I, um, of course, you don't say awesome back in 80. Yeah, 80. right. It was a different said, way. That's cool or whatever I said. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah. So I went back and in three weeks we packed up. My wife and I packed up. We had an apartment in Jackson Heights. So we really had no, no nothing binding us there. So yeah, we just, September we moved out to Monterey. And uh, that was it. That was in 81. Man. I know. It was really like, I. Ne- it was something I didn't see coming. I never, even in visual arts, I had never dreamt of. <clears throat> it just wasn't in my, you know, purview to work for a, um, be an assistant. This is what cartoonists, you know, I never even thought of that. Right, and, sure. Who would? Yeah. It was just, you know, I, I mean, it was either Disney or I didn't know what. Right. So, yeah, so this was something I'd never even thought about. And, it, you know, it happened. So it was really amazing. It was just a, luck, you know, lucky break. And so you never looked back. I mean, no. I mean, it was like a dream come. I mean, it was like a dream, not even a dream come true. It was because you said it was out of left field in a way. Yes, yes. You know, it's like wow, walking out there. It it really sounds like you you were experiencing, you know, an, almost like an out of body experience. Oh, know? it really was. It really was because you know my family back home were going. Out. You know, when I got that first letter from him, I I, I still rib my brother-in-law to this day because he you know he was working he was a singer he was he was singing up in the catskills now he's a pastor oh but back then he was singing up in the catskills and and um so i showed him that so you know they'd see me at home i was still working at the applied circuits and then i come home and i so they come over for dinner and i'd be sitting i had this drawing board set up and they'd be looking at me sketching so he told me later you know he said you know he i was really he was almost feeling sorry you know like this this poor guy is delusional you know He's working on this thing, and he he didn't tell me this at the time, but he told me later, you know, that he'd just see, and he'd go, yeah, yeah, you'd humor me and say, yeah, Ron, you know, something's going to happen. And so when I got this first letter from Hank saying he liked my stuff, and so I showed it to them, and he said to me, he goes, you know, Ron, you ought to frame this letter so you could show it to your grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I never thinking anything's going to happen. Exactly. He said, yo, this is a great letter. You know, you should get a frame. So in 30 years, you could show your kids, you know, that you got this letter from Hank Ketchum, you know. So that's how much faith he had in me. Oh, man. So anyway, so we still laugh about it today. Yeah, because, you know, here you are all these years later. Yes. Yes. um, Carrying. Yeah. Exactly. Forward. Unbelievable. What? Yeah, that yeah, story, it's, it's almost it's, as great as Marcus's story. I mean, you yes. know, it's, it's, I mean, here you were working on printed circuit boards, yes. for gosh sakes. I and know. You must have felt really just like so frustrated, uh, you know, at the time. I mean, well, you know, obviously you were newlywed, but, and that's great, but. Yeah. Uh, but and I still, had taken the post office test. I oh, take, my gosh. Yes. So, I, I, during this time, I also well, I took the post office test in, in the Manhattan at the main branch there. And the, I mean, this was like the floor wide office where and I'm looking around and there's like a, it's a sea of people taking the post office test. You know, it was like you can imagine in New York, you know, in the. In the uh, oh, yeah. So anyway, so I took the test and um, I, I thought I did fairly good on it and I didn't know. So I thought, you know, if all else fails. I got the post. Uh, who knows? I mean, it was just another option for me. Right. So the funny thing was, so that was in, I think I took that in July. I forget when I took the test. So that first Christmas, I moved out in September. So in December, like the first week in December, uh, we had rented this apartment in in, Mon- in Monterey. And there's a knock on the door, and it's from the U.S. Postal Service. 
<laughs> and it's like, I think I had gotten my results already, and I think I had done fairly well. But that was it. I did, I did. So anyway, so they deliver this letter, and it says, you ought to report to the main branch on December 11th. I guess they were hiring for Christmas, whatever. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, so it, you have a, an opportunity to, to work. So it was like, a, you know, to say, and, if, and so if you want it. <clears throat> oh, my God. I had to sign this. So I'm sitting there, and I, you know, I've been in California for two, working for Hank for like two months, two and a half months, whatever it was. And I still, you know, I mean, I had the job and it was great, but I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. So I, they said, if you want to be on, kept on the list, please sign here. So I signed it, you know. So they kept me, so I, I would retain my name on this list. Oh, man. So, you got to cover your bases. Yes, exactly. So then it was funny, because that was it. So then I stayed that year. The, ne- the next December, the same thing happened. But now I'd been there a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And I'd already... <laughs> I'd already been put on, you know, the comic had ended, and I'd already been put on the Sunday, so I thought, well, I guess I'm going to have this job for a while. So then they they offered you the option again to keep your name on this list, so I, I checked it off. I said, no, I'm good, you know, so um, so that was it. But for two, for two years, I got this door mess, you know, people knocking on my door from the post office. Man, it's and it, it it took that long to figure out that well, Hank Ketchum had some faith in you if your brother-in-law did. You know, that's it. That's that's really it. You know, and I and I in retrospect, as as I look at my early work now, the stuff I did back then, I go, you know, the funny thing was Hank. I mean, I think he liked me. You know, I think we really hit it off. And I think that was part of it. I mean, I think he just liked me as a. Per- I'm not bragging. I'm not saying I'm a great guy, but I think we just clicked. You know, as far as our relationship so he i think he overlooked a lot i mean because uh, looking back at some of my early stuff i go how did he ever keep me on how did he ever sign those paychecks you know because i look at some of the stuff i did in the comics and i go oh my god that's terrible the stuff in the comic books or you, yeah the comic books comic especially books, yeah. especially yeah. The comic books, you know because yeah. i was i guess it was good enough to you know to get by and you know we, we were all training so we were all all three of us were like struggling with it but, you know, I'm just thinking, I go, wow, you know, he must have really liked me to, to keep me, you know, have kept me on. I think he was just, you know, we just had a good relationship and, <clears throat> you know, he overlooked a lot and he had a lot of patience, you know, yeah. with, all, with not just me, with the with the other two artists, too. Well, you know. Who were the other two artists? Do you, their names come to mind? Or? Well, you know, Karen, Karen Machette, she's, okay. she's still writing. She's still writing. Well, she, what happened was she had a baby. She got, she was there for several years and. Uh, and then she she got met a guy. They got married, had children. She mm-hmm. kind of came back part time, but you know it was kind of she was getting so she, she actually so she stayed out there. She started working on the Flintstones. Oh, okay. Yeah, she she did really well. She got she she got a job working on the Flint, Flintstones comic the Sunday. Okay. And then she was doing Scooby Doo, and then yeah, so she went on to have a great career. I mean, oh, you know, Hannah Barbera. And she ended up moving back. She moved back to Buffalo. And she actually worked on um, For Better or For Worse with Lynn Johnston for a while. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, what yeah. Did she, what did she do with? She was, Lynn I think, Johnson? she was an assistant. She was working with her as an assistant. And, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So she did great, you know. And Brian went on to, um, he he went to work for Jim Davis. Garfield. And what was his last name? Uh, Brian Lum. Brian Lum. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's well. I don't, I'm not sure what <clears throat> he went to work on. He went. He worked for Jim Davis, and he became one of his key guys. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of lost. I, I'm, I'm not sure what he's doing now. Then he worked for Disney, I think, after that. Okay. So anyway, but, yeah, we've kind of lost touch, but I, I'm not sure what. Um, 
But now it's it's you and Marcus. That's that's yeah. So Marcus came on in night what ninety four, right? He said right like, ninety four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then it was Karen and I, and then um, another. Then when Karen left, um, Frank Hill came on. Frank Hill, he was doing short ribs. He did. Um, he was a very accomplished. He did the comic books for Hank actually in the sixties when Hank was in Switzerland. Uh-huh. He was doing the comics here, so he came back on board and he worked for a couple of years with us. And then Marcus, you know, then eventually Marcus came on. In the, but, you know, the thing with Marcus was he was, I guess he told you that, you know, he was living in Charlotte. He had a life. He had kids. He had grand. I don't know if he had grandchildren yet, but he wasn't going to move out to, you know. So we, he was, it was still up in the air when I got, I don't want to put anything he didn't say, but, you know, he, he came out for a week. I guess he told you that, right? Yep. Mm-hmm, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we hit it off and we we're having a great time, played guitars together. And we, he oh, was. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah, we hit it up. But <clears throat> his his intention was not. He was hoping Hank wasn't going to say move out there, you know. Oh yeah, sure. Well, yeah, yeah. His life so, was someplace else. Yeah. Yes, exactly. He had a you know he had a whole life. So and luckily you know by that time there was faxes. Yeah. There were you know everything. So he didn't have to. So that was good for him that he didn't have to make that that choice. So you were out in California for how long? Yeah, from eighty one to ninety six. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And what brought you back east? Well, what happened was, all right, so then I was working with Hank in, uh, in the studio. And then, so then Hank, it was a, this a studio we were in Monterey. It was a historic landmark mm-hmm. that Hank had taken and made a studio out of it. So Hank decided that it was time, since it was just the two of us. And, um, and so he was working, he went back to his Pebble Beach studio mm-hmm. and um, he sold it. He sold it back to the city. It was a beautiful, and now they, you know, it's all beautifully done, and it's a historic building with a sign in front and everything. And I worked, I, I was living in, this is my third place. I, I, I started out in, a, in an apartment in Monterey, then I bought a house in Seaside, which is the next town over. Then I bought a house in Salinas, mm-hmm. which is what was my last house. So I was there for like five years. So then um, he sold the studio, so then I was working at home in Salinas. So mm-hmm. then I went from like, and we had fax machines and everything. So I was faxing him. So I went from working with him every day to seeing him maybe once every few weeks. Oh, I, okay. Yeah, we worked by fax, and um, yeah, once maybe once a month he I'd go into the, to his house in Pebble Beach and discuss stuff. But yeah, so I was like I was not seeing, and he was only like a half an hour away. So at that point we were like we'd done 16 years there. We had my we had two kids, my sister and my wife's sister back here in upstate New York. She had two kids about the same age. So we were talking and thinking, boy, it'd be great if we could raise them. You know, they can grow up together and everything. And so I thought about it. And my, and, um, my wife said, why don't you ask Hank if he'd mind if, we, if I moved back east? Uh-huh. So, you know, it was more out of just wanting to change. I, I mean, I still loved it out there. I mean, it was still sure. great. But, you know, we had family here now. And, and some people in Monterey had moved some friends that I'd had, because the Monterey was a very transient area in a way. Mm. Yeah, because I knew a lot of people from like the postgraduate school, the church I was going to, had a lot of military. Mm-hmm. So they'd be there for two years and then they'd leave. And, you know, so it was pretty transient. So anyway, so one day I just shot Hank a fax. I said, Hank, you know, would you mind if I thought, I was, I've been thinking about moving back east and how would you feel about that? And aside from the fact that he thought I was crazy, because he lived in Connecticut for, for years, he, he said he had no idea, he couldn't comprehend why I'd want to move back. Yeah. Post. So, um, but he said, you know, if you want to run, you know, go ahead. Yeah. So he put the house on the market, and it took a while to sell because Salinas, 
back then, this was this was 96, they were booming. They were building subdivisions. They were taking all this farmland. Oh. And they were building subdivisions everywhere. They were taking all the farm. So I was in a subdivision, a new subdivision. But it, it was, my house was like maybe four and a half years old. But I was competing with brand new homes, and they were offering sprinkler systems, TVs, you know, with new sales. Yeah. It was very tough. So I had it on the market for like a year. And the realtor I was working with said, yeah, it's a tough market because people are, you know, this area is booming. So just as I was, so then I was, I was thinking about taking um, off the market. Yeah. I couldn't sell. So I told my realtor. And then I was thinking of doing a cross-country rental thing. I would rent it to a, you know, tenant. Oh, yeah. And so she was like, Ron, I, I will, she goes, I'll tell you cross-country rental stories that'll curl your hair. <laughs> she goes, I would not advise that because it never works out. It's a nightmare trying to keep, a, you know, so she, she got me all scared. So I said, okay. So I gave up that idea. And then she, and then she called me and she goes, all right, I, I have a prospective buyer. Um, let me work on it. I'll give it back to you. So it was this buyer, this person, they had friends who lived across the street in the house across the street. So it was really one of those things, one of, one of a kind deals, where he just wanted this house because it was across the street from his friend. And, you know, it went. So she goes, but you have to be out in two weeks. Oh, man. So that's, you know, so anyway, so yeah. So then we, we went from not debating whether to go back to having to be out. So then we had to frantically pack up all our stuff and be out of there in two weeks. So it was a very frenzied kind of move. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. So we did it. We came back here in um, 96 and, and that was that. So, so Hank, you know, passed away in 2001. So we had, a, we had like five years of um, working long distance. And then yeah. I saw him. I went out for uh, once. I went out and um, I forget to visited him one one time. So you you said the two of you you know really clicked. What was the working relationship like when you worked in the same studio together? Oh, it was great. It was, you know he had his office. Oh, well, it depends. We started out. What he had done was he built. He took a home in Pebble Beach. Mm-hmm. And it was a house, it was, and he converted that, and he bought this beautiful Italian tile. He did, he put so much money into it, and we were there first. So it was me, Hank, and the two other. So the three, it was still the three of us at that point, right? And his secretary and the writer. So we had all these people there, and um, so it was a kind of a different. And Hank had his office, and we had our offices, and it was good. It was good. It, it was funny because they forced him out. The, the Pebble Beach resident, and Hank lived in Pebble Beach too, but in another part. So it became a big thing because we had like five, six cars, six, seven cars, whatever it was, coming in and out of there every day. Okay. And it was really a, a not, it was a suburban neighborhood, you know, it wasn't like business neighborhood. So we had lunchtime, we'd all, we'd all leave and we'd come back. So, and I was funny, I used to park in this one spot because I didn't want to get stuck in the, the parking, the house with a house, it was like a little circle. So if I got jammed and I had to ask people to move their cars so I can get out. So I started parking down down the road, and there was this beautiful fence there, and um, it was by the side of a house, but there was a high fence, and it was, but it was, you know, so I parked there. I, I parked my car, and I did that for a couple of weeks, and it was great, because then I could just walk down. I wouldn't have to worry about anybody moving their cars to go to lunch. Right. And then one, so one day, I, I pulled up there to park, as I usually do, and there's these, these enormous boulders sitting there. So obviously, they were not happy with me parking there, because they... These three enormous boulders where my car used to go. Oh, man. And then no one ever told me. I just said, okay, I guess they didn't want me parking there. So that went on for a while. And then finally, they forced Hank out. 
but they said, you know, it's not, it, neighbors are complaining, everybody's complaining. So there was in the Monterey Herald had this big article, a big ed- editorial about, you know, Pebble Beach is full of Mr. Wilson's and, you know, <laughs> forcing, yeah, forcing Hank out. So, yeah, so then we moved from there, then we moved to that, to the other location I was in Monterey. And that was, and then by then, you know, the two artists had left. So, yeah, it was, it was the three of us. And, and um, it was great. I mean, Hank had his office in the front and he was very open, very friendly. And, you know, he was, um, yeah, he was just a great guy, and it was very easy. It wasn't, I know some of you, simply because he's so tough, and he, he was very strict with me, but I was like, you know, tell me. I mean, I know I'm, I, I need help, you know. So I never, I never resented anything that he, you know, that he told me, you know. And or Were you doing the Sundays completely by then? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so yeah. You well, Karen would... and I started, Karen and I were doing them for a while. Okay. And then yeah, and we started. We he started us both. And then he was giving us dailies. You know, he was giving us dailies to do periodically. You know, throw in here and there. Mm-hmm. I guess he was trying to see, feel out, see what was going on. But Hank was kind of like, you know, once you were a Sunday guy, you were a Sunday guy. Okay. So even with him, you know, he I think he did the Sundays for like maybe two two years when he started the strip. Right. If you look back, you'll find you know Hank Ketchum, Dennis Sundays. But pretty soon he was like. It's a lot of work, you know, and he and he wanted to focus on the dailies, and he's so. It was it wasn't too long before he had a, a, a Sunday a Sunday guy going, mm-hmm. you know. Not that he couldn't. I mean, I guess he just figured, you know, it, it was it was too much, and he wanted to. He didn't want to divide up his energies the two. So anyway, so he was giving us those, but I think he 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 probably figured that he was going to be hiring somebody else to do the dailies eventually. Right, but. You know? It's it's interesting, Marcus. The way Marcus phrased it was the Sundays are a different machine. Yes. And you know the idea. I think when you're talking about, it sounds like his preference was for working on the dailies. You know, you could you can focus in on a single image, I suppose, exactly. the way illustrator does. Yeah. And really get hung up on the line work. Yes. Almost like in a design oriented way. Exactly. Whereas with the Sundays, you've got to stretch got it to, out over 12 yes. panels. You got and, boxes, you got balloons, you got yeah. balloons. It's a whole different thing. It's it is a whole different thing. thing. Yeah. 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 But if you look back, have you seen any? He, he Hank, you know, got very creative with this. And I remember one Sunday he did, he put his face in there, a photograph of him <laughs> at the end, you know, on the drawing, at the drawing table. So he was, he, I mean, he had fun with it. Yeah, and some of them were unbelievable. He did at Christmas time. He would he did this one Sunday. It was like one huge rectangle with three floors of a department store, mm-hmm. and he had shoppers and Santa. Oh, all different. I mean, it was just un- I I mean I could see why he said I can't do both because he you know when he when he put everything into it he put everything into it. So um, yeah, but it's you know having the daily it's a big rectangle. It's like a, a canvas, you know. Yeah. And how and, big did he work? Well, he worked. Um, what is it? Eight about, about eight and a half by eleven, maybe a little smaller. Okay. Yeah, you know, he had a grid. He had a, a, a pre-printed pad set up, which I think were probably nine by a, a eleven or something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was a pretty standard. It, it wasn't quite, you know, um, legal legal size. Right. Or letter size. It was just a little and, smaller than letter size. And you were still working the same size. You were working that. Oh yeah, the Sundays were yeah, the large. Yep, he did. That was it. You know, because uh, Bob Bug was the Sunday artist before us, and that's so. 
And Bob, Bob, he he was great. Enough, you remember Bob Bugs stuff? Uh, you know, off the top, the 60s, of my head, I, I'm sure uh, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, you have seen it. I'm yeah. sure. And so he was when we started on the comic book. He was doing the Sunday, but he was living in um, Connecticut. Okay. So when Hank built the studio in Pebble Beach, where he invested all this money in, into and everything, he asked Bob to move out. Right. But Bob was an older guy by then. He had grandchildren, so he said no. You know, so he that's when he put us on. I mean, you know, I, I am sorry he lost the job, but that was a good break for us because, you know, he he put us on the Sundays then. Right, and but, and do you know what what happened to to Bob Bug? Did he? I think experience? he went on. He had a freelance career. A oh, freelance career. Yeah, yeah. He, after that, but I mean, I'm sure. But you know, he did offer him. The, he did give him the option. But while we were out there, he'd bring in, you know, because Bob would mail us stuff, and he'd show it. He'd bring in these Bob Bug Sundays and show them to us, and we'd go. Even when we were still working on the comic, and he'd and we'd go, oh my God, these are beautiful. You know, mm-hmm. never dreaming that that we we'd be doing Sundays. Right. So when you're working beside him and or, you know, you're in in the same office as he is and you're working on the Sundays, did he come in and look oh, over yeah. your shoulder and talk to you about this, that and the other thing in regard to the work? Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I'd work half a day, whatever. I'd go in, I'd work. I get it depends on what stage I was at. But, you know, layouts, I do a rough layout and I run that by him. So I was always in there. I mean, his office, was, it wasn't like there was no door. Mm-hmm. It was in the front of the house. Ha- it was in the front of the house, and it was no. It was just open, so I just walked back there, mm-hmm. knock on the wall. You know, knock, knock, knock. Hank, I got a question. And you know, he'd he'd be there, and and yeah. Then sometimes he'd be walk. He'd just walk around, and he'd come into. I had no off- door in my office either, so yeah. How you doing, Ron? You know, I said, let me look, and then he'd come in and sit. You know, and then there were times when he'd officially come in and critique it if it reached a certain stage. You know, right. then you get up and he'd sit in your chair. And you'd stand there and look over his shoulders, you know, and that would be it. That would be, and then you'd get the tracing paper out, and then that was the official <laughs> critique, you know, and you'd stand there and you'd tremble, and you'd go, oh, boy, you know. And But he'd draw it all out. You know, it's not like he ver- verbally could critique it. He would show you what he's, he'd say, no, Ron, this should be here, and then he'd draw it. So, so you couldn't argue, you know. Oh, man. It, it always blows me away to hear that because he could have just redrawn the panels himself. Yes. I mean, in some ways, he really was doing less time, that. which is you know that's re- that's really why you stopped the comic book because the comic book was it was three artists and it was his time and he was training us then so he was spending a lot of time on the comic and this was in the eighty one so comic this was really before comic book stores started kick kicking in yeah and Marvel and the comics would be you know so Hank's big thing was he said they're selling comics in airports in in um, delicatessens in whatever you know and so he wasn't happy with the way comics were being distributed yeah and so i you know he said this is really too much so he didn't renew they can't marvel wanted to renew it was a one-year contract mm-hmm. so then when it was up they wanted to renew but hank said no you know the the numbers before comic shops were probably huge for dennis I oh mean, yeah the faucet book absolutely yeah. In the you 60s, know, in, yeah, yeah, in the 50s and the 60s, those yep. comic books were were yes. huge. So yeah. to go from that to what he was getting from Marvel, um, yeah, comic. yeah, that's true. And it was a three. I think King Features was also involved. So it was like a three, uh-huh. a three way split. You know, so I guess he probably just figured it wasn't worth his time. So he, well, you know, it's interesting to me. Um, it, you know, Schultz had uh, comic books of Peanuts, but they didn't last very long. De- right, Dennis. Uh, you know, there was a long history of Dennis the Menace comic books that were yes. really successful and really well done. Yes. Uh, 
you know, it seemed like Schultz was involved for a little while. He had one of his close guys working on one of the books for a while, but then they went into something else. And, and, and then the quality of them was never quite the same. And Schultz's characters, I've never really found that they translated as well, but Dennis translates just so beautifully into a comic book form. Yes. And those comic books in the fifties and sixties by Fred Toole and, and yep. Al Wiseman and Owen Fitzgerald and yes. those those are brilliant comics. I know they are. They're they're. I'm I'm still you know I buy pages once in a while. I will see Owen Fitzgerald pages on yeah. uh, for sale. I, I I have I have a bit of not not a huge collection. I I bought a few of them when I could find them. And um, yeah, Owen Owen was I loved Owen's work. Yeah, and I and you know it's interesting. So did did Hank oversee those? Oh yeah, as, actually, yep, as tightly. Yes, what they had in when I be that was before my time in the '60s. Hank had bought a in the Carmel Valley. They call it the Ketchum Ranch. So when they sell the property, these it's still called the Ketchum Ranch. Oh really? Wow. So it was like he had a he had like a, a chef who lived there. Oh my and it god. Was, he had a pool, and around the pool were these cabanas where the art or the artists work. Oh, so worked, they, yeah. They, How'd you get so any work they, done there? You know, it was Bob Bug and um, no, not Bob Bug. I mean, uh, um, Dick Hodgins, not Dick Hodgins. Who did you mention before? Al Wiseman and Al Wiseman, Al Wiseman, and a couple of other guys. Owen and, and Owen Fitzgerald for a while, I think, until he moved. I think he Fred went back. Tool. Fred Tool, yeah. So they all had, and they all worked around the pool, and it was like, yeah, and Hank lived there too. I mean, I think Hank lived there, you know, and, and um, so yeah, it was like a, a big. And he was overseeing everything, you know. Amazing. So it, yeah, yeah. So that was his story. And when when I got there, that was a big oh the kid. And I think I drove by and saw it was on. I think it was on the market when I was out there once. So I drove by and looked, and saw where, where all this happened, you know. And that's when comic strips really paid big. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, what a right. that's amazing, you know. Yeah, but, and plus Dennis was selling like yeah, you're right. He was it was just a hot, hot comic. Right, and and um, and uh, you know, it seems to me that he right from the beginning, maybe because he'd had some time at Disney, Ketchum had a, an idea about Dennis as a media property that, you know, he knew what the potential was right from the start. It seems, yeah, and he planned for it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and he, you know, he always wanted when the you know when the series came along, the Jay North Black and White. Yeah, that was his. That was Hank didn't want to do that. Oh. Hank wanted to do animation. He wanted right. to. Do, his dream was to do animated Dennis, Pinocchio quality animation. Sure, know? that was his thing. And then when the series, when this came along with the series, it was more pressure from the syndicate saying, you know, we got to strike while the iron is hot. We got to get this on the air, and it's, you know, and, uh, Pinocchio animation is going to take too long, and this is what. So he grudgingly agreed to do um, to do the series. You know. Wow, and, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, he was like, he wasn't that, and he said it pretty quickly. It got ridiculous with Jay North and this, you know, and the overalls and, <clears throat> you yeah. know, and he was stuff. growing up too quick. Yeah, and... he was growing up, and then he got too big for the overalls, and they kept. Uh, so he, yeah, I mean, he he was involved, I think, in the casting, because I've seen pictures of him with Jay North, and yeah, yeah. yeah. But so he kind of did it grudgingly. I think he liked it in in the beginning, but then after a while, he kind of thought. You know, this yeah. Is. So yeah, he he did it, and then you know, Deke in the in the eighties, Deke Animation, DIC. Mm-hmm. You know them. They did this. They did like sixty four half hours of Dennis. And was he happy with those? He was. You know, that was another story because you know he was. 
<clears throat> yeah, they would send they were sending him the scripts, and he would, and it was by then you know as I said, then as far as Hank concerned was concerned, Dennis's world was the neighborhood, the neighbors, the block. That was where his so these deep scripts where Dennis was a secret agent going oh, to Russia. Yeah, yeah, he was going you know going here, going in this part of the world. He was traveling. He was it was all these cra- this crazy stuff. Yeah. So Hank, the, it was funny because I, I remember he showed me one of the, the first scripts that. So he would get these scripts, and he, nah, Alex would never <laughs> say that. Henry would never, and he's crossing stuff out, you know, left and right, and rewriting stuff. And he was very, you know, so this happened maybe two or three scripts. And then Deke finally said, you know, Hank, these things got to be finished in like a week, you know. <laughs> so they said, we can. So then he finally just said, all right, fine, do what you want. And he threw his hands up, and he didn't look at any more scripts, and he just he just let them run with it. Wow. You know. Must yeah, be frustrating. It was. It was frustrating. You know, he was just like, I whatever. You know, he just saw the, the you know, the logistics of it and said, I can't con- maintain any kind of control over this. So, but with the movie, you know, the '93 movie, he was yeah. He went out. He went out to the watch the filming, and um, John Hughes wrote right. to Hank and wanted a synopsis of each character, and so Hank was giving Hughes the background and all the characters and everything. So he was kind of involved with that, you know, and then he went out and watched the filming with Mathal and mm-hmm. yeah, so that he, and he loved that. He loved that. He loved that 93 film. Oh, that's, well, that's good to know. I'm going to have to dig it out and look at it again because. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. He, he, you know, when we saw it, when it, when it, we had a big premiere in, in Monterey three uh-huh. when it came out, Dennis and Menace Park, which is there, you know, they have, we had the costume Dennis come out and <laughs> before the, before the, we went to, all well, went to the movie, they had a big thing of gathering, all the kids came and there was a Dennis lookalike contest and everything. And it was a big, the cakes and, and festivities. Then we all went to the theater in Monterey and watched the movie. So it was a big, yeah, it was big. Hank was really happy with that. Well, I, and that must have been kind of a feather in his cap, you know, because it was getting towards the end of, of his career. I mean, he retired yeah. very quickly after that. Yeah. But he never really retired, you know. That was the thing. But he started painting, and then he was doing paintings, and then he, did, he did a wing, a uh, children's wing of, a, of the local hospital. Oh, and he was yeah. busy with that. Yeah, yeah. He he, he actually, where, the, where our last studio was, he had a studio upstairs before he went home and painted, and he would... um. He had he worked on these huge canvases, and he was really getting it. Plus, but he was still critiquing our stuff. But you know, the thing was, I say I have. But then I, when I moved back east, I um, the night he passed away, I have a fax from him. Oh wow! Yeah, from early like six in the evening, where I had just sent him a a rough from the Sunday I was working on, and he answered, and he drew these beautiful sketches of Margaret, and he said, "No, give her more, give her more gestures." More wild gesturing, more, get it, get it looser, get it, you know. And he sent all these, and that was like six. And he passed away at like three, three in the morning, whatever it was, of the following. In his, in his sleep. His, yeah, in his bed. Yeah. Was yeah. he ill, or it was just? Yeah, yeah, he'd had a. Um, well, he had um, a bladder cancer. Okay. Early on, while well, I was still there. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I'm not sure. I th- I, I I read different before. I'm not quite sure what what he eventually. I think it might have been heart failure. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. What actually did him? What 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 happened? But he was in bed with his wife at home. Okay. It was like, yeah, the next morning it was like got a fax from. Yeah, oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, because so I have this fax framed, you know, in my office. Yeah. And it was like I I don't I don't know if it's the last thing he ever drew, but I said this is one of the last 
drawings Hank ever made was these gesture drawings of Margaret, you know. Oh man. Yeah. It, it it's I I have to say from talking to both you and Marcus, my my respect for the man has grown immeasurably. Uh, really. I mean, well, I always respected him because I yeah. always loved Dennis the Menace. I mean, right. Dennis the Menace growing up as a kid, along with Peanuts, Dennis the Menace was one of those things that, like, one of the first cartoons I ever drew in ink that my mom framed and put on a wall was a Dennis wow. the Menace cartoon, yeah. you know? And so, Dennis, the, and, and as I grew older, well, I always loved the comic books. I thought they were the some of the greatest comic books ever, and I still do. Yeah, they still but, I mean, you know, you're yeah, they're great. But, um, yeah, and, and then as, as an older artist you know looking back at at his work and yeah. his the way he handled the pen and ink you know just always blew me away but you know um the way in which peanuts changed and like you know engaged me as an adult dennis didn't really do that for me yes. as i was growing older right. it's because it's a different thing yeah. but when i listen to you talk about him and i listen to marcus talk about him i realized that he was so deeply invested, even though, you know, he had assistants working for him, unlike yeah, Schultz. Yeah. He was so, he was an ob obsessive. He was yeah, oh, yeah. No, 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 uh, a control no. freak, you know, like any artist oh, yeah. is a control freak over their baby. I mean, yes. it's really impressive. Well, you know, like I come in in the mornings and um, I, I was working on a Sunday or something. I, I That might have been the comics. I'm not sure what stage that was at. But we were working in Pebble Beach and... Um, so, you know, I worked nine to five. You know, we, we, we all worked, you know, clocked in at nine, left at five, hour for lunch. And then I saw so one morning I come in and um, I went and Hank's sitting in his office there. And he's, you know, he goes, you know, Ron, I was thinking about that, that page you're working on. And um, I was up, uh, I woke up at, you know, two thirty in the morning and I was thinking about the layout. I think we should approach it, you know, differently, you know. <laughs> so here I am, you know, clocking in at nine or whatever time it was. And Hank is, has been there, and he's and he was up in the middle of the night thinking about the layout for this comic book page, you know. <laughs> and I'm going, oh my gosh! I mean, how do you, you know, you just don't get that kind of dedication, you know? And watching yeah. him draw, if you watched him draw, he, he 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 would emote, you know. He his face as you're watching him, he's 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 making the whatever expression he was looking for, and he'd be making it with his face, you know. He was so oh, into. Yeah. That's a fascinating observation. That's incredible. But yeah, what are yeah. some of the when you watched him draw? What were some of the other things you took away from from that? His his device, you know, with layouts. He mm -hmm. would always say, you know, I know that he goes, I know there's more than one way to skin a cat. That was his favorite expression. Mm -hmm. With as far as the ideal layout, you know, mm -hmm. so because I'd lay something out and then I bring it to him. He goes, I know, Ron, there's more, but then he'd relay it out, you know, whatever, and um, you couldn't argue with it because it was always better, <laughs> you know, than what you came up with. So you really had that much of a leg to stand on because it w he wouldn't just talk about it; he'd do it, you know. And um, and and yeah. So watching, and he held the pencil like a, 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 a it was like a diamond cutter. He, he he had a very light touch, you know. He used the lead pencils, the old you know lead pencils, but he just it would just he hold it very lightly and he'd sketch very lightly with it, you know. It was, it was just such so much learning experience just watching him, you mm -hmm. know. And then the was inking he, uh, was unbelievable. Yeah. It, it, I mean, his stuff looks so fluid and natural. Yes. And, and it, you know, it, it, it just, that's the way he, he worked. And then, you know, as I said, my dream was to work for Disney. You know? Right. So when I started working for him, what he would do is, it was it was almost, because he, he, you know, he worked at Disney. He grew right. up. Right. You know, he worked at Pinocchio's, you know, whatever, Fantasia. 
So we would come in, and he would come in the office, and the three of us would be there. And he goes, I want everybody to go out sketching this morning. So instead of working, he'd say, go out to the... And we'd take our own cars, we'd split up, and we'd go out to the wharf, Fisherman's Wharf in Monterey or whatever, Pebble Beach, or and we'd sketch for like half the day. Just sketch. He said, I just want I just want you to sketch. Just go out and start sketching people, things, and you know. So then we'd we'd go out and sketch. And then after lunch we would come back and we'd show him my sketchbooks. Yeah, you know, and he'd sit down and he and his I you know, every everybody had their own you know, problems with sketching. But mine was that, you know, he says, Ron, you, you got to approach these things. Because I was very sketchy. I mm-hmm. would dress, sketch things, a lot of pencil lines, you know. Mm-hmm. And, he, and his, his advice to me is, Ron, use less lines. Because in the end, when you do the final cartoon, it's, it's going to be one single line. It's going to be a pen line. So I want you to start thinking in those terms of a single line. Simplify, mm-hmm. you know, so we say simplify your sketches. Make them less less sketchy, more you know, deliberate, you know, so you know, stuff like that, you know, so it was always, and then once he actually, when Karen and I, he enrolled us in a graphics class in, in Carmel. Wow. Yeah, he paid for it. It was like a, it was a graphic and design layout class and it was just nothing in particular. He just wanted us to continue our education. So he paid for everything. So Karen and I, I think it was two, two or three days a week in the morning, we'd go to this class for like half a year or whatever it was, you know, at his expense. Yeah. So he was always, you know, pushing us. He was a great teacher as well as, yeah. as, as well as everything else. And not to mention the, you know, the, all the, all the Disney people out who lived out there, all the retired, you know, um, who was out there, uh, see the names. I'm getting old now. The names. Well, you uh, mentioned Milk Call, Ward Kimball. Well, they, they, they didn't live out there, but, um, who lived, who was the big celebrity out there? The, um, Preston Blair. Oh, okay. Yeah, Preston Blair lived in Carmel for a while, and so I'd, 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 I'd see him in the supermarket, some, and he was older <laughs> then, and he couldn't walk, so, so I'd see him in like one of the supermarkets there, and he'd like sit on his cane, and he'd, he'd relax and talk, and really nice guy, you know, and um, and um, Eldon Dodini and Gus Ariola were his two best mates. They were the three of them were like the triumvirate of uh, Monterey, you know, the three. They did a show together at the at the museum there, and so I kind of got to know them too. So they were, that was pretty cool. So there was like a contingent of of cartoonists. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Gus like, Ariola, um, what did he do? I'm, I'm, it, I'm Gordo, blind. Gordo, you know. Gord, okay. Yep, he started out at MGM as an animator. Okay. And you remember Gordo, the Mexican? It was you know. Are you familiar with it? I you know. Mexican. Yeah, yeah. I know Gus name, but I'm I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, yeah. Great artist, great artist. I think he was way ahead of his time, actually, because if you look at his stuff now, it's it's so beautiful. Oh, and he man. started out as an MGM animator, and then he, but it, it, Gordo it was a Mexican. He was he was Mexican. Mm-hmm. And, um, so the strip was Mexican, and it was Gordo. He was a Mexican character, and and it started out speaking in Italian, like um Hispanic dialect, English Hispanic. So it started out with like broken English, and then he changed that to you know English later on. But it started out actually being in like Hispanic English. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. The, yeah, the, pulling the, it up now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's and beautiful. then later on, then it got. But he just kept refining it and refining it. And um, and he, yeah, he was he was and really a nice man, just so nice. I'd run into him too on the streets, and he'd talk. He'd take time out, man. He'd talk. He'd talk to you, and how's it? Larry laid back. Oh, did you ever connect with with Schultz at all? You know, just you know that the funny thing. No, I, I, I. He would come for the AT and T's every year. You know the golf. Yeah. But 
I never really, I, I, even at the um, Ruben Awards, I, I never really had a one-on-one -on -one with Schultz, to be honest with you. I think I said hi to him. Yeah, I never really did. Because he was up in Santa Rosa. Right. You know, and Hank was in Monterey. Right. So, I and they, they while I was there, they, they really hadn't, didn't connect that much. Uh -huh. <clears throat> Once he did, you know, Hank did a, every year the program for the AT&T golf tournament, the magazine. Mm -hmm. So, one year they collaborated on it. Oh, and, that must uh, have been cool. Uh, I'll send you. I, I think I have a copy. And so Hank did the backgrounds. He did the golf course. It was all in the golf course, and Hank did all the go the, the mountains, beautiful. And he put Dennis and Margaret and uh, Ruff in there. And then he sent it up to Schultz in Santa Rosa. And Schultz put in P uh, Charlie Brown and Snoopy, <laughs> and put just put you know put it his characters in where Hank had you know designated to put them. Yeah. And yeah, so they did stuff like that. And then Schultz would come to the AT and T. But I I I just didn't really communicate with Schultz that much actually yeah yeah well it's it's interesting to think about I mean because not only they did they come out like one year after another but yes. the two of them were hugely successful yes and in, 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 <clears throat> at that yep. period when comics could still be so impactful right on the culture oh, yeah. so along with Mort Walker I think those are the, the I mean you could see that I mean Schultz Ketchum Walker they're really those were the three peers in a way um yeah Nobody else was really on that, quite on that level in terms of success. Right. Yeah, 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 it's true. It's true. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of great strips, but you're right about that. Oh, yeah, there were a lot of, yeah. a lot of great strips. Yeah. Um, yeah, now, War Walker, I, I meant, sorry, he was a great guy, too. I mean, I, lo I love Mort, yeah. You've been working on Dennis for all these years now. <laughs> yes. And, right, and it, and it's, well, I guess the, the first thing, do you ever get to the point where you think you're going to retire? You know, No. I mean, I love it. I sometimes I think about, I, I sit here, <clears throat> and I go, "What would I do if I didn't do this?" Uh huh. And it's it's kind of terrifying, actually. You well, know, because I mean, I live in the in the, in the woods here, mm -hmm. and it would either be, you know, I I just look at the alternative, and it's like there's no, no no contest, you know. I and I and I, I love it, you know. I, yeah. I'm still, you know, thank God I still have my facilities to to draw. So yeah, I mean, I I, I, I want to you know as long as I, as long as I can keep going, I'd love to do that. Just keep I, going. Oh yeah, I mean, I have no desire to retire. Well, thank goodness Ron's not retiring anytime soon. We know that uh, as long as he's working on those Sundays and Marcus is working on the dailies, Dennis the Menace is in good hands and will last as long as there are newspapers to print. So I don't have much more to add to that. I, I babbled at the beginning of the show, and uh, maybe I've exceeded my uh, quota for babbling. I think we'll leave it there until next time. Hey, don't forget, if you do want to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash jeffgrogan and any amount is absolutely welcome and appreciated. And uh, it, it goes a long way, not only to helping support the podcast, but, you know, I've got a whole pile of other endeavors, too. And you do get to see some work there that you're not going to see anyplace else. Uh, right now, my cartooning is nowhere except for there. Uh, I mean, there's a little bit of it on my website, jeffgrogan.com. Uh, you can get an idea, but really, there's not much there. So um, I'm at sea, so go to patreon.com and check it out. Uh, I'm working on stuff. I've, I'm working on a big project, and we'll, it's a little movie I'm working on. So uh, I keep my, myself going. I've got my own stuff going. You've got your stuff going. We've all got stuff going during these days of lockdown. We need stuff <laughs> to do, stuff to do, and that's what I'm doing, doing stuff. 
So I hope you're doing stuff. We're all doing stuff. And uh, there'll be lots more stuff, lots of stuff to share uh, when all of this breaks and we can get out of the house for a change. Anyway, uh, it's my birthday today. I'm 60 years old. And so I'm celebrating by with this wonderful interview by doing some intro and outro stuff for uh, for Ron and, and this show. And uh, it's it's no better way to spend a birthday than to spend it with you, wherever you are. And uh, actually, I'm spending it with my wife, <laughs> which is the best, and my dogs and my cats. And we're cool and cartooning, talking about comics, making comics, making animated comics. That's that's the that's what better way is there to spend a birthday? I hope you're as lucky wherever you are, and I hope you are healthy and safe and sound. And uh, with that, we shall leave it there. Next time, part two of our interview with the wonderful Ron Ferdinand. I hope you're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. And all I can say is be well, be safe, be healthy. And uh, until then, thanks for listening.